And good afternoon. It's good to see you here this afternoon. Hope you're doing well. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, do that, or on your, your phone or your tablet or your phone that looks like a tablet, um, however you want to get to God's Word. We'll be starting in Genesis 1 this morning. Uh, quick announcement, if you're visiting with us, first of all, glad you're here. Um, always consider it an honor to have visitors among us, and if you're looking for a church home, our prayer is that you'll consider making Solid Rock your church home. Um, we have a membership class coming up next Sunday. Uh, this is an opportunity to learn more about what we believe and how we operate. Um, so even if you're not quite sure about membership and you just want to come learn more, you're welcome to attend. Um, but we need to know you're coming because we provide lunch for that uh, membership class. Uh, it takes place during this service, again, next Sunday. And so if that's you and you want to attend, if you don't mind jumping online to our website, srchurch.tv, and go to events. And the first event is membership class. Just click on that and let us know you're coming. That way we can have enough food, and then we can have enough printed material for you to be a part of that. So I want to invite you to membership class next Sunday during this hour. It'll be in the other building, uh, downstairs behind the kitchen. So um, it's pretty easy to find. So hopefully you'll consider being a part of that. So we're continu continuing our uh, sermon series entitled The Gospel, Everyday Gospel. Uh, if you haven't been with us, what we mean by that is we're looking at how the gospel truth that at just the right time, the Son of God, Jesus, the King of all kings, the author of the universe, he steps into the human story. Uh, he takes on human flesh. He suffers uh, like we suffer, and he lived righteously among us, fulfilling the law of God. He, at just the right time, laid his life down sacrificially for us in our place, and then resurrected from the grave three days later, after that, he ascended back to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father, where he awaits patiently now his return, where he will collect his church to himself. And so we're looking at that gospel truth that if you're a Christian, you've said, I believe that. How does that apply to everyday life? And so far, we've looked at how that truth applies to my identity, how I see myself, what I see when I look in the mirror We've talked about how that truth applies to the way that I serve God and the way I function here on earth as an image bearer. We've talked about how that gospel truth impacts marriage and my role as a husband or a wife and how we interact with one another. Last week, we looked at how that truth impacts parenting and the relationship between parents and children. And this week, we're going to look at how the gospel impacts our work. Now, what we're learning is that this beautiful gospel truth impacts every aspect of my entire life. That something about this truth that Jesus is God's son and he's died for me and resurrected for me and my trust and faith in him impacts my everyday life. As we begin to look at what it means to view our work through the gospel, you may be noticing a pattern. And so let me just kind of go over the pattern that we've been working through every Sunday. So we've been starting with creation in Genesis 1 and 2, looking at what God created before it became distorted as something that was, he considered to be very good. And so we looked at marriage um, from Genesis 1 and 2. Now this week we're going to do the same thing and look at work in, from Genesis 1 and 2. But we've also been looking at something that significantly shifts in Genesis 3. Now Genesis 3 in your Bible is what we call the fall. This is a place where sin and rebellion enters the story. Now, this is incredibly significant because everything else in your Bible is impacted by Genesis 3. The rest of the story is distorted and, and twisted because of what happens in Genesis 3. 
so much about brokenness and heartache and pain and suffering is explained by Genesis chapter 3. Then we get to the New Testament, to this place where Jesus steps into the story, dies and resurrects, and then the rest of your New Testament, something beautiful begins to happen. Everything that gets distorted in Genesis chapter 3 begins to be restored and redeemed and made new again, including marriage and parenting and the way we see ourselves, and today we're also going to see this impacts work as well. So starting in Genesis 1, verse 28, let's look together. And God blessed them, that's Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. In every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, obviously, this is the sixth day of creation. And what we're reading about is long before Genesis 3, before everything gets derailed and distorted, and before we get to the fall, there is something good about work. Embedded in human design is this need to work. God created us to work. You see that here, right? Not only did he create Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, he says, you've got a job to do. Now, What I want to point out is that specifically our work in verse 29 is this. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for what? Food. So work from a pure sense before the fall at its in its purest form is simply you and I, the, the means by which we receive. God's good provisions. So for for Adam and Eve, God never said to them, hey, you guys kick back, go make yourself a recliner out of leaves, I'll have some servants bring you some food and all you gotta do is eat it. No, he said what? There's something good about work. You're gonna have to go out and harvest my provision. You're gonna have to work for my provision. So work from God's perspective, a part of creation before the fall was simply this, a means by which You and I as image bearers would receive God's good provision. God desired to provide for Adam and Eve, and he did this through work. Now, we're going to go to Genesis 2 now, and it can be a little bit confusing. So Genesis chapter 1 is the account of creation, the days of creation. Genesis 2 is a a close-up view or a detailed version of day 6. So what we just read in summary, we go to chapter 2, and we're going to get some more detail on what was happening, what was unfolding there as God created. Look at verses 5 to 7 with me. Genesis 2. So when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to what? Work the ground. 
So God's intention in creation was that he would create man to do what? Work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. When the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Skip to verse 15. So God takes this living creature, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Right, so embedded in creation, at this point in time, there is no fall, there is no sin, there is no distortion, but we have work. As human beings, we have work to do. God put Adam and Eve in the garden to work it, cultivate it, and to keep it. That's manage and steward. Right, so part of just being alive for Adam and Eve was work. And we see that work is part of God's good creation. Now, that doesn't look like the average work week, though, does it? Right? For you and I, we work, and with work comes a lot of frustrations, disappointments, obstacles, burdens, pain, sorrow. Right? My work doesn't always look like that, where I just go out into creation, harvest what is good, consider it God's blessing and provision for me. No, I have to get myself out of bed on Monday morning. Right? I have to talk myself into work sometimes, right? Like work doesn't look like this for us. And so the question becomes, why not? What happened? What took place between Genesis 1 and 2 and 2018? And so we go to Genesis chapter 3 to the fall. Genesis chapter 3, let me give you just a little overview. So Genesis 1 and 2, everything's created good. Genesis 3 is in sections. The first part of Genesis 3 is the story of Adam and Eve rebelling against God, disobeying his law, and sinning. Okay. Then what happens in Genesis 3, God comes to Adam and Eve in the cool of the morning, and he calls them into account. And he finds Adam and Eve doing what? Hiding. They were hiding from God. And hiding from one another, God calls them into account. Now, the second half of Genesis 3 is where God begins to talk about how everything's going to be different now. Everything's going to be distorted now, including your marriage relationship, relationships between parents and children. Everything is going to be distorted now. And in Genesis 3, verse 17, we see how work is going to be different now because of the fall. Now, this sounds more like my work week. And to Adam, he said... Because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now remember the ground. Adam was taken out of the ground. Adam was called to work the ground and cultivate the ground. But now something was going to be different because God says what? Now the ground is cursed. Look at what he says. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And what God is saying to Adam and Eve is, listen, everything's changed now. Everything. The way you interact with one another, relationship between parents and children, and oh yeah, remember work? 
how work was this, this joyful thing you used to do where you stepped into creation, you cultivated, you harvested my good provision for you. Well, yeah, now work is going to be different, Adam. Work is going to be different, Eve. Now the ground's going to be cursed. Now work is going to be painful. Work's going to be hard. Work's going to have obstacles, right? There's going to be thorns and thistles that come up that try to inhibit you from, from receiving my, my, my provision for you. You're going to have to overcome. You're going to have to cut them out of the way. You're going to have to fight through the obstacles. Work is going to be painful and hard, and it will continue to be that way until you die. Now, a couple of things. First of all, careers have not quite yet entered the human story. It actually happens in the very next chapter between Cain and Abel. We know that Cain was a farmer and Abel was a rancher. We begin to see specific industries begin to emerge. But at this point in time, your career, your job, your work was to simply right, participate in cultivating in the garden and harvesting God's good provision. And God says it's no longer going to work that way because of sin. Your work is going to be painful. It's going to be hard. Now, because of sin, because of sin in our own hearts, we as human beings tend to respond to work in one of two different ways. And there's a really good chance everybody in the room fits into one of these categories. Either one, we encounter the, the pain and the difficulty of work, and so we shift to doing the bare minimal, just enough to get by so I can get my check and I can go home and buy the things I want, the bare minimalist. Or the pendulum swings the other way. Work is hard, it's painful, and so my response to that is then I'm going to work harder, right? I'm going to become a workaholic, and I'm going to begin to find my identity in what I do. I'm going to go for it, and when I don't find joy in what I'm going to do, I'm going to work harder because it must be the next level. I just haven't arrived there. And so we have these two different responses. We have the bare minimalist, right? And we also have the workaholic. Both are distortions of what God created work to be. So I hear things like, you know, Pastor, I really feel like I need to choose a different, I feel like God wants me to do something different. I say, okay, well, why do you think that? Well, I'm just not enjoying what I do for a living. You know, I'm not opposed to the idea of God calling us and, and charting our courses, but one of my responses to that normally is this, hey, God cares far less about what you're doing and a whole lot more about your heart attitude towards it. So if you're unhappy, in your chosen career field, just choosing a new career field isn't going to make you happy, right? Because if your heart perspective and your heart attitude towards what you do doesn't shift and change, you're still going to get frustrated with work because work is going to be hard, regardless of the career field. It's going to be painful. It's going to have obstacles. Things are going to work against you. Well, maybe it's my boss because my boss is a jerk. That's why I don't like my job. Listen, your boss may be a jerk. Right? But getting a new boss isn't going to fix your heart. Yeah, but my coworkers, they're just so manipulative. And just, I just think if I had a different career, a different work environment, I would be happy. Now, that may be true. Your work people may be making your job even harder. But even if they weren't there, your job would be hard. Because God said, because of sin, because of the fall, your work is now distorted. The ground is now cursed. What you were created to do in joy has now become a burden. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. So maybe 
Rather than blaming it on my career choice or my boss or my coworkers, maybe it's a different maybe. Maybe my problem with my job is my heart attitude. Maybe my problem with my job is the way that I see it through this broken lens of the fall rather than, than through the restorative lens of the gospel. Now, somebody, uh, one of our church members asked me a few weeks ago about what I do for work, and it was kind of a trick question. Um, he said to me, hey, do you, do you consider what you do work? And I thought, well, let me think about how to answer this. And he said, no, 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 what I mean is do you call it work? Like, do you tell your family, I'm going to work? And, uh, and, and I just thought about it for a minute. I thought, that's interesting. What do I say? So I typically say, hey, I'm going to go to the church. That's my work. It's what I do, right? And so, and I think, you know, kind of embedded in that question is that whatever work is, it's negative. So if you're a pastor, you can't call what you do work because work is not good. It's not fun. It's broken. It's hard. But, you know, the reality is it doesn't matter what your career path is or what you're doing. Work is work. And you know what? With my hard attitudes wrong, what I do for work can become a burden. Really can. Become this thing that I begin to resent and I have to talk myself into getting out of bed and going just like you. Because see, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what the career path is. And I'll give you some examples. Some of the hardest workers in this room right now are stay-at-home moms or homeschool moms. And you don't get paid a dime for that. So it's not about the money, right? And it's work. It's cultivating, it's work. There's a lot of obstacles, thorns and thistles, things that make it painful. Right? So it's not about the money. So getting more money doesn't make what I do more joyful. Just changing career paths isn't going to make it more joyful. So where do I find joy in what I'm doing? Well, just as we've done over the last few weeks, we're going to go now to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We're going to look at one verse together. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, the apostle Paul is writing to the church and he's talking about how through the gospel, work now is being restored. What God intended work to be is being restored. Ephesians 4, 28, we read these words. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, before we check out and go, yeah, that's a Bible verse for people who steal, so that doesn't apply to me. Actually, I think this does apply to all of us. Now, to have some context here, what was happening in the early church, you have to remember, at the time this was written, there were still people who were alive who had been with Jesus in person, had even witnessed his death, and his resurrection, and they remember him saying things like, hey, I'm going to go away now, I'm sending my Holy Spirit to you, but I'm going to return. So what was happening in the early church is based on that belief system, they got super excited about Jesus' return. I mean, after all, we just saw him resurrect and ascend, so surely that's about to happen. And so what they were happening, they were checking out of working. They were getting together saying, hey, let's just get together, pull all of our resources together, and let's just live off of what we have, and let's wait on Jesus to come back. And so what was happening, as you can imagine, they were beginning to run out of resources. And so one person would run out of whatever it was, the grain or whatever they had, and, and somebody else would say, that's okay, I've got a little extra, I'll share with you. And they were sharing the resource, which was a great thing. But, but people were disengaging from work in order to anticipate and wait on the return of Jesus. Well, obviously, his timing was different from their timing. 
And we find the Apostle Paul and others in the New Testament saying, hey, go back to work. (laughs) Right? Work is not the necessary evil that you have to do. It's part of God's good design for humanity. And yes, it got distorted in the fall, but God's restoring everything that got lost in the fall. So if it was good and right for you to work and to cultivate and to harvest before sin in the world, right, through Christ who takes away our sin, it's still good and right to work and to cultivate and to steward and to keep and to create. I don't know what your career field looks like. I think it's easier Um, to grasp these concepts the closer you are to the dirt, okay? So there are different industries that we're in. Some of you work with your hands. Some of you work with your minds. Uh, Some some of you get dirtier than others. Um, I was thinking about all the different work and career paths that I've had in life, from construction to farm and ranch to all these different things. And I was thinking this week about the moments in my work that I've had the most joy before becoming pastor. And, and a couple of memories come to mind. One was um, a retaining wall that um, I, had to, I had the opportunity to participate in building one summer, which means it's hot. So we're out in Strawn, America, building this retaining wall. I think we calculated about a mile and a quarter long. Some sections were like 14 feet tall, had big I-beam supports, and we were basically cutting railroad ties with a chainsaw, lifting them up by hand and dropping them in and building this retaining wall. I don't know if you've ever worked with uh, creosote-soaked lumber in the summer, but it it gets hot, it begins to release um, arsenic, and that gets in the crevices of your skin, and you sweat, and it starts to burn, and it's just this miserable experience. But I'll never forget the enjoyment of getting to the end of a day, taking a step back from the wall and calculating how much wall we had built and looking down that wall at how true it was, how plumb it was, how straight it was. All the suffering and the pain, the sweat that went into it, right, produced something. It was good and right just to see the work of my hands, as hard as it was. Just thinking about building fence on the back of a ranch one summer. Have you ever built fence? I don't know if you've ever welded, especially if you've ever welded in the summer outside, okay? Uh, so in the summer, it's hot here in Texas, and then you go throw on some long sleeve shirts and some welding gear so you don't get burned by the fire that's going to be in your hand while you're welding. It's a pretty hot experience, right? And I just, I remember a summer in particular where I was doing a lot of this by myself at the back of a ranch, uh, building stretch braces, H braces, turning corners, building gates, hanging gates driving T-posts and stretching wire. And I can remember just in my mind one particular day where I stopped at the end of the day, long, hard, hot day, pulled off all the the welding clothes, back down to my T-shirt. I was drenched with sweat and just looking with joy at this fence that was stretched out tight, straight, ran up and down with the ground, the contours of the land, the the gate that was hung that swung true and latched and, and everything was just there, this tangible expression of this hard work. And I... I'm telling you, it's probably one of the lowest paying jobs I've ever had, and I enjoyed that. I think the closer we get to the ground, I'll never forget re- reading the, uh, the Wendell Berry book, uh, Jaber Crow, um, just this fun, fictitious book I was reading, and, and at the end, he does such a great job of talking about um, how we were designed and created to cultivate and grow things out of the earth. I read the last chapter, I shut the book, and I started crying, and Hallie walked in the room, she's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know, I just want to be a farmer. I just feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. Now, I say all that to say this. I think it's easier to see God's design when you're working with your hands and in the ground, but understand what you do, what your work, is all part of this equation. 
Some of us create things with our hands. Some of us create things with our minds. And when we create, we're like sub-creators. We're reflecting the image of God who creates. Think about this. Some of you geek out on spreadsheets. I know it. You're weird, but you do it and you enjoy it. And at the end of the day, you like for the spreadsheet to work, right? You drop the number and boom, and everything calculates all the formulas, reconcile and work. There's joy in that, isn't there? The same kind of joy in looking down a straight retaining wall, a straight fence. It all came together and it worked. You were created to cultivate, to work, to create, to manage and to keep and to steward God's good creation as a means by which you receive God's good provision. So it doesn't really matter what you're doing for a living. It's more important about what your heart attitude says about what you do and how you view it. I don't know what you do for a living right now, and I don't know if you're enjoying it or not, but I know this. If you're a Christian, God wants to restore your work and your perspective of work back to Genesis 1 and 2. He wants you to see that as a part of being a flourishing human being is that you work. Whether it's with your hands, your mind, your heart, or all three. It's part of being created in his image. And so Paul says, let the thief steal or no longer steal. He's also talking about working hard with what we do with integrity, reflecting the character of God. There's the obvious forms of stealing stuff, right? Don't take pencils that belong to your work. It's just a pencil. Well, if it belongs to somebody else, it belongs to somebody else. But did you know that we can also steal time? Being on the clock, being paid to do something, Checking out and jumping on maybe social media while you're getting paid to work is also stealing. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, as Christ's followers, God is restoring the way we view work, and we should give everything we've got to it, work at it with integrity, reflecting the character of who God is. Whether your boss is a Christian or not, that they will be able to see in you and your work ethic and your character at work the goodness of who God is. Right? And we're called to whatever we do, whatever we put our hands to, to work at it with everything that we have for whose glory? God's. Whether you're building a retaining wall or a spreadsheet or a F-35 or an eighth grader, whatever you do, you put everything you've got into it with your whole heart, understanding that what God's called you to do in work is part of your right, God-designed role to receive from him provisions. And then did you catch the end of that? This is what makes it beautiful. So that they may have something to share with anyone in need. So rather than being a liability to the church, is what he's saying to these Christians, by not working anymore, so you're just kind of mooching off everybody who is working, how about this? Go work hard. Work honestly. Not only that God might provide for you as a, as a means of collecting his provision, receiving his provision, but that you might have a bounty more than enough that you could become the one now sharing with those who are truly in need. This is a different perspective on work for most of us, isn't it? Most of us get out of bed on Monday because of the paycheck that's coming Friday, right? Most of us are motivated and we're like, I don't want to do this, but I have to because if I don't, I'll get written up or I'll get fired or someone will give the job to somebody else or I won't get the promotion. We have all these different motives that cause us to get out of bed and go to work. And what God is saying is, what, is it, what if you just viewed your work through the gospel? What if you just viewed your work through Genesis 1 and 2 and saw that this is simply you going out into, the, into the creation and reflecting my image by cultivating, creating, keeping, and stewarding 
as a means by which I will provide for you more than enough. You think, well, if I could just make more money, I would be more happy with what I do. You know that's a lie, right? You may have caught the news story this past week that came out that I would say is, I would offer up as proof that more money does not produce happiness. Did you see the guy who uh, got busted for robbing banks? A string of banks, I think 10 or 12 banks. He accumulated like 30 or 40 grand. They finally busted him. Here's the irony of the story. About 20 years ago, he won the lotto. He won $19 million. Just got busted for, for, for bank, right? Because we think, well, if I won the lotto, I'd do what? I'd retire and I'd quit working. Listen, more money does not make you happy. And listen, there's this false idea of retirement, that retirement is the, 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 the goal line that I cross, and once I cross it, I quit working. Talk to somebody who's retired. Life's still hard. You still got to work. Just getting out of bed is, is work, right? Like, what God is saying here is you're going to work hard now from here to the end. There's not this, this illusion of retirement that once you get past there, God says, okay, you've arrived. Quit working. I'll have the rest of the world come serve you. God says, no, you were designed to work. Maybe you're not going and clocking in anymore, but you were designed to create and to cultivate and to steward and to manage as a means by which you receive God's good provision in your life. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're an aeronautical engineer, homeschool teacher, public school teacher, CEO, plumber, carpenter, farmer, rancher, whatever you do, right? this is part of your God-given design to work. When we can see work as part of God's original good design, untainted by sin, we start to see it as the cultivating and harvesting of God's good creation in order that we might receive God's good provision. But because of sin, the way we view and interact within our work has been marred and distorted. I'll give you an example. Very few of us feel like we're walking into the Garden of Eden tomorrow, right? Less like the Garden of Eden, right? Rather than being a joy by which we receive God's provisions, work has become a burden full of pain and obstacles. However, through the gospel, God is restoring our hearts to see our work the way he designed it to be. As Christians, we should work hard and honestly, not for wages or recognition or to cross the finish line of retirement, but we should work hard for God's glory and the joy of being designed to cultivate and to create and to keep. Until that day we cross the finish line. I want you to listen to this. Until the day we cross the finish line of death. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and speculate. I think we're going to work in eternity. I know some of you just freaked out. Oh my God, what am I working for? I just knew that I was going to step into eternity and all these little... Um, toddler angels with diapers on. We're going to fly around and bring me food. Why would I say that? I can't quote a, a chapter and verse that says you're going to be working in heaven, but here's the thing I know God is doing. He's restoring everything back to its created order through Christ, which includes, I believe, working. That for all eternity, you and I, what will be restored in us in terms of work is, will be like Adam and Eve in the garden. Work will be the means by which you and I enjoy the good provisions of God forever. Forever. 
harvesting, cultivating, enjoying creation. But it'll be a work that is free from thorns and thistles, free from pain, free from sweatiness. It'll be good. Now, I want to just land here if you're um, I don't know where you walked in today, but there's a good chance a few of us walked in today completely satisfied with our work, right? Something we want to change about it. And my caution is, don't buy into the lie that if you could change whatever that thing is, that it'll get better. It's going to be work because it's part of this fallen world. What really needs to change is the work God is doing in us, our, the way we view our work, right? The perspective of our work, our heart attitude towards our work. So maybe that's you. Maybe today you realize, you know what? I've really been viewing my job through a broken lens. That's why I hate my job, right? Maybe you have either, you've been on the pendulum swing, like you've gone to like bare minimalist and you know that, you're just getting by, doing the bare minimal to make sure that you fly under the radar and don't get written up. Or maybe you've become a workaholic and maybe for you, your career has become an idol. And you've bought into this lie that the next rung, the next step, that's gonna be the one that makes me happy. What happens when you run out of wrongs? And you say, well, how about retirement? That's going to make me happy. And what happens when you get there and you're still not finding fulfillment? We take a step back and we say, oh, okay, so the problem wasn't what I was not doing or what I was doing. The problem was my heart attitude towards that. Listen, if you're a Christian, Jesus wants to restore the way you see work, the way you interact with work. Jesus wants you to find joy in what you do, not because of the specific career path it is, but the way you view it is the means by which God provides for you generously. To see your job as a calling. To see your job as part of God's design for you as a created human being. The second thing I want to mention as we wrap up today is this. At Solid Rock, our greatest hope for you is that you would come to know the life-changing, life-saving message of Jesus. Until you've taken that step of faith towards him, trusting in him and him alone and what he's done for you, None of the rest of anything we say or do here at this church ever is going to make any sense to you. There's no community group out there that will make, make it make sense for you. There's no Bible study. Like, it begins with you making a decision to trust in Jesus and him alone. That's our greatest hope for you, and that's what I'm praying for you right now. Even, even if I'm saying this, I'm praying you would take that step of faith today. Whether you do that sitting where you're at or you grab one of our prayer partners, that today you would take that step of faith and say, Jesus, I'm ready to trust in you and you alone. I'm ready to begin this restoration thing that we keep talking about on Sundays. I'm ready for you to begin that work in me. It begins by you taking a step of faith towards Jesus. I'm going to pray you'd make that decision today. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come to the front. Um, They'll be here if you want somebody to pray for you. Our worship team is coming back up on the stage. Our prayer and counseling rooms are open. You're free to sit. You're free to stand. The fasten seatbelt sign lights are off. (laughs) You're free to move about the cabin, however God leads you. If you want to just stay seated praying, you're welcome to do that. If you want to stand and sing, we invite you to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this very real message today that the the restoration work of Jesus really does apply to every aspect of our lives. And God, I know the tendency for me and probably for others is to compartmentalize you, to think about how the gospel applies to my religious life and how the gospel applies to my quiet time and how the gospel applies to my worship. 
But today, you've shown us through your word that the gospel applies to everything. It impacts everything about our life. And today, as we looked at work, God, for most of us, that's become a four-letter word, the necessary evil of life. And today, God, I pray you would restore in us a biblical perspective of work. That as Christ's followers, we would refuse to see what we do for a living through the broken lens of the fallen world. But God, we would see it through the lens of Jesus who restores all things back to its created order. Would you restore that joy in our hearts even now? Would you change our heart attitudes towards work this week? That at the end of each day, at the end of each week, we could take a step back the same way you take a step back in creation and could we look with joy and pleasure at the work of our hands? Could our gratitude be turned towards you as you provide all that is needed for our lives, even more that is needed that we might share through the work of our hands? God, I pray for the person here who does not know you personally, who is not trusted in Jesus. God, I pray that that decision will be made today. Stir right now in that person's heart a longing and a desire to know you more, a faith to come to you and to trust in Jesus and him alone. We pray all this in your name.